Welcome to Piecing It All Together. My name is Bo Sanders, and this episode is some highlights from our live Zoom chat a couple of months ago. This will be the final episode of Season 1 of Piecing It All Together podcast as Randy and I prepare to record Season 2. We've got some episodes on the way, and we are excited to be back with you. We especially want to thank our Patreon supporters who sustained us during this break, and uh, we are very grateful for that. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter and participate in the next live Zoom chat, the first one of Season 2, we would love that. Go to patreon.com slash piecing it all together. That's P-E-A, piecing it all together. Randy has gone through a big move out to Malpin, and you're going to hear about that when we record our first episode of Season 2. And uh, we're looking forward to... Figuring out what this looks like across the miles. We're dreaming about some live shows together and uh, really looking forward to connecting with all of you and topics that you would want to cover. So if you have any ideas, you can post them on the Facebook page. You can email us at connect at piecingitalltogether.com or comment below right on the episode page. I really wanted to put this episode out because, as you'll hear, Randy talks about listening to the animals. It's a very challenging concept, and I have been sitting with it in the last couple months and have had an interesting experience that I will be sharing with Randy in episode two, and I will very much look forward to your feedback on that. So without further ado, here are some highlights from our lives. Do you want me to do the music? I'll add add that later. Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. This... Piecing It All Together. We are Piecing It All Together. This is episode 47. It is a live podcast Zoom chat on a Sunday afternoon. We have some friends with us. I'm going to go around our our little roundtable here and ask everybody to introduce themselves, please. Ryan, do you want to start? Hi, I'm Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. We have Alicia. You're welcome, Hi, I'm Alicia. Great. This is going fantastic. This is good audio. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jason. Hi, Jason. Hello. We're... And Jim? Jim Robertson here, yes. All right. And so we, we are, uh, maybe we are we talking about where people are from real quick. So we yeah. understand that we're coming from all different parts of the country here, Bo. I was just about to mention the, the magic of the internet for all of its evils is that we can connect with friends all over the country and North America. Yeah. So, so I know we're, we're, we're stretched out today all the way from, uh, Florida up to, um, uh, Alberta, right? Yeah. Okay. And Ryan's in a secret location underground. Yeah. Well, if he that tells would be the story that, he'd have to kill us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll just put you in a black site. You'll never be heard from again. Oh, boy. <laughs> so you're up in, Ryan, you're up in Washington? Uh, negative. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you miss the part about if he talks about it, he has to kill you? <laughs> okay. Got it. 
Keep asking questions, though. It's a good idea. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm south of the border because there's an Aztec uh, ceremony going on just a block away from me. I hope that that's true, but I'm afraid it's a... No, it's true. It's true. Oh. The drumming's, drumming's been going on for two days. It's cool. Whoa. All right. And Jim, what's the big news in Alberta now that uh, those fugitives on the run there uh, have been found? Well, that, um, that was actually on each side of us. So yeah. they started out in British Columbia, but they were caught in Manitoba. Yeah. So, but it was, it was national news. Um, well, we're still all um, dancing on. We, we've had a change of government here. And so we went from a social democratic party in charge to a left-leaning government in charge, or right-leaning, excuse me. And so we're we're all waiting to see how that sifts and sorts. Oh, That'll we'll be- take it from us down here. It's it's really not something to uh, be excited about. Yeah, it's uh, it's we've only had right-leaning governments for decades and decades and decades. And then there was a sort of a free collection where the left-leaning one got in for a four-year period. And, uh, and now the, but now we've got some, the most extreme right-wing party we've had in a while. So, yeah. Who's the PM? Um, The Jason Kenney is the name of the the premier. So, You know, they didn't even tell us you guys were having elections. <laughs> well, it's just provincial, so it's... Okay. So, yeah, and I was going to ask you, Manitoba, is Manitoba in Alberta? <laughs> <laughs> no. This season. Yeah. But I know uh, uh, most Americans aren't really familiar with all the provinces. <laughs> right. I've been to almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Except for the Maritimes and none of it. Yeah. Yeah. Randy, don't, you have a big speaking engagement in Canada coming up, right? Yeah, I'm in the Maritimes while I'm up there. I'm yeah. going to Nova Scotia. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited about that. And then, Jason, besides the humidity down in Florida, anything big happening down there? You know, right now we've got a lot of, um, you know, we have a new new governor um, this past this past election. So we've got a lot of environmental. Um, we also have the, um, a lot of environmental issues going on right now, as well as we had the, um, the, um, what amendment was it where, um, felons can now vote again. So the, yeah, the new, uh, the new, um, elected governor and the Republicans are trying to, trying to block that right now. Um, so that, that's been a big issue, uh, recently in our, um, I'm, I'm a member of the local NAACP chapter in my County and we've really been working to, uh, to fight that and, um, you know, work, uh, they're, they're really just trying different ways to implement that. Um, and it's, I'm trying to think of a, what the term is for, and it's not on the top of a poll, not poll tax. Uh, what's the, uh, uh, where they're making them pay. So if you if you were in, in um, if you want your rights back to vote and you have some outstanding um, um, like legal fees, they're making them pay in order to restore their rights again. And I, I can't remember the term off the top of my head of what that is. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Um, so that that's what they're 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 trying right now, and in the, in the uh, they're trying to make that happen. 
um, so that they are they're restricting the rights again. So they're it, it's it's in a battle right now. So that's kind of what's going on here in Florida as far as the legal and the political scene. Well, so. it sounds like someone needs to start throwing sweet tea into the uh, Gulf as a sign <laughs> yeah. of protest. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's been pretty ugly. So it's uh, remind me of your governor's name, uh, Ron DeSantis. Right. Andrew Gillum. He beat uh, uh, Gillum. Andrew Gillum. Yeah. And that, um, yeah, that was. He probably didn't really beat him, right? From everything I can tell. Right. No, yeah. he didn't. Yeah, like, it was. Like him yeah. and that guy from Kansas, in terms of dirty poll tricks, they're like the two top guys in the United States, I think. Yeah. What I heard, anyway. Yeah, no, the voter suppression there, I mean, it was almost the same in, uh, in Georgia, too. Yeah, with Stacey Abrams, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very similar. Yeah. Well, so yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'm always interested in that regional stuff. So that was uh, that was interesting. I actually didn't know about a couple of those things, so I'll have to look into them. So everybody, uh, I'm hoping that you've had a chance to listen to our two most recent episodes: one on avocado toast and one on Philly cheesesteaks. And um, <laughs> making me very hungry. <laughs> Angie and I learned that we probably shouldn't record at 11 a.m. when we haven't had a big breakfast. We usually record after breakfast. And we, uh, we apparently were a little hungrier because our conversation kept drifting towards uh, sandwiches. But um, curious if there was anything on either of those episodes that piqued your interest and you wanted to chat about. Uh, the conferencing, the conference situation. So, um, what, can we, yeah, if we could talk more about that. So, um, I know Randy that you, um, did you, um, uh, you talked about in the episode how you didn't say anything or didn't confront, um, did any, anything else come from that or did you ever hear, um, from anyone from that conference or? You're talking about the summit with, uh, yeah. the Jim Wallace gang? Yes. No, um, Kind of just did it the Indian way, which yeah. is like, okay, uh, next time I'll be wiser. Yeah. I did, uh, Rob, who has been with us on previous live recordings, isn't able to be with us today, but he did say that he would love at some point to talk more about uh, conferences and what we'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Um I I think for me, I'm very aware as somebody who has helped organize conferences before and who misses them. You know, I used to be a part of the Emergent Village conversation. And um, when Emergent Village sort of went belly up um, or melted into the sea or whatever happened to it. But, you know, we don't have the, the annual Emergent Village conversation and uh, I miss that. And I always look for conferences. I know that Alicia has gone up to Seattle for, um, what's that one called? Inhabit. Inhabit. I know that Randy gets to speak at different conferences. I don't know if anybody else has one that they um, like to go to. I miss. I've been thrown out of a few. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, he means conferences within his nation. What's that? <laughs> I said he means conferences within his own denomination. (laughs) So I daydream from time to time about 
hosting a, a different kind of conference. But I'm aware that it would have to be from its first day, from its very inception, it would have to be different than the conferences I have seen in the past. And that any type of diversity, whether that's racial or perspective or clergy lady, whatever type of diversity we wanted to see eventually represented in the optics of what showed up, you know, in the, for the poster and on the stage or however you want to conceive of that has to be embedded from day one in the conference organizers and those who make uh, the decisions who are at the table. I'm just very aware as I daydream, you know, cause I do, I, I miss those conferences and I, and I think about trying to get money to host one again, especially in the, the Northwest. Uh, and especially when I thought Randy was leaving, I really was like, man, I wish I could organize a conference before he takes off. And I was like, ooh, maybe I could host a conference and get him back. That's how I could get him back up here. Um, it really got me thinking about what I'd like to see the conference look like. But I'm, I'm just very aware that it has to be at the, at the basic DNA level. Whatever you want to see eventually has to be on day one. Yeah. Because it's just an extension of that kind of Western learning uh, model that really hasn't worked well, I don't think, Mm. Um, where knowledge is transferred um, by, you know, speakers. And um, there's this, uh, like, a lot of times it's more or less, it's like you ask people, like, hey, what would you learn at the conference? It's like, I don't know. It was really good, though, you know. (laughs) And... um, and there's not a whole lot of, in most, many conferences, a whole lot of thought given to how do we unpack this stuff and give people something to actually take home so that they can do something with. And so that's a big opponent and a big um, um, sort of bridge that we cross to, to uh, uh, the Western worldview because you know, I mean, it used to be like when, when I was, you know, back in the old days in the like 70s and I was going to Bible studies and stuff. Right. It was like everybody was like, whose Bible study can you go to and how many can you get to a week? And that makes you more spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of the same thing with conferences. It's like, you know, how much knowledge really get that you actually use and do something well, good to be inspired. It's good to be motivated, all that. But um um, but really there's a whole heck of a lot of money spent, um, on these conferences and on these speakers. And it just seems like a waste to me a lot of times, um, yeah. getting together, meeting people and doing all that. That's cool. But usually it's like, you know, you got to make time away from the conference to do that, to spend any kind of quality time with people. I just oh. think the whole thing is just an extension of the Western apparatus and, and it, it's it's not made for any kind of lasting results or, or lasting change. And what we're really needing now is some change. Mm. Ryan, Alicia, Jim, Jason, have you been to any conferences that you think were well done or that you took away something that was practical in, in, in order to implement? I helped conference a few years ago that I think had some of the elements that Randy's talking about. Um, 
we weren't able to get the funding to do it a second time, but we called it half speed. And, and actually our, our logo was, we took a highway speed limit sign and had the one half. And the whole point of the conference was to take five days to do two and a half days worth of material. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and we actually were trying to invert that funnel because normally presenters come in with a lifetime of learning or whatever it took them to get their last book put together. And then they try and, funnel that down into a one or a two hour presentation. And we were trying to create a, a conference where the stimulus, where people would go out from the place uh, with new ideas and the things that were going to keep them occupied for the next two or three years. If they were, mm-hmm. uh, that was the hope. Uh, but you know, the idea was to, to stir the pot and stimulate rather than to, uh, and, 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 and launch them off into a, a new direction. Sounds really cool. Yeah, it was, and we everybody was situated to be learning leaders um, was, was built into the concept as well, and so and then uh, space for conversations to finish and things like that. Wow, that is very different. Yeah, it it won't work with large numbers. It takes small numbers because to put on, but I think the fruit was there. Mm-hmm. The potential was there. So I went to a conference in June in Chicago called Mystic Soul Project. And um, the way that they have it structured, it centers people of color and LGBTQ um, people. And um, they had a lot of um, spaces for spiritual care and um, sort of deprogrammed things. They talked about when they would start a session, they're like, we're going to go till we're done. We're going to try and honor people's time, but they weren't uh, married to the clock so much. Oh. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, it was interesting being in that space. Um, it's not my first time being in space like that, but they were really intentional about making it safe space for marginalized people. And so it meant if you were challenged or uncomfortable with your whiteness, you had to handle that yourself and not put the emotional burden on people of color and the way that they supported both um, people of color and non people of color was they had um, separate spaces for people to go and sort of decompress. And um, there were activities or group led things to kind of walk you through stuff. And um, it felt very responsible. Um, And they started the conference off by saying, you know, at a certain point, you're going to be triggered by something in the space and don't lean on the person of color. Don't make them do the emotional work for you. So I liked and appreciated how they handled that. That's cool. It was very cool. Interesting. I'll tell you about a bad, a bad conference experience I had when I helped uh, start a church in Los Angeles. We uh, put together, you know, an emerging leadership team of people who had really surfaced as uh, having passion and influence and gifting. And so we needed to do something as like a team building exercise. So I had heard, I had been to this conference before. And I had heard that they were going to do it again. And so I, we signed everybody up. And from L.A., you know, we all drove down for a road trip to San Diego. And uh, it was supposed to be our sort of team, you know, team building. 
And uh, the first day I realized, you know, we got there early, we're setting up and I realized that none of the people uh, who were sort of in charge of the conference were the same as the, the people I had met before and that there had been a, not just a transfer of power, but they had bought, I think the name of mm-hmm. the conference they had, and it wasn't the same group organizing it at all. And the opening exercise was uh, a centering, a time of centering prayer with a, a like a Buddhist um, bell. So one of my guys, who was not digging that vibe at all, gets up to go to the snack table, which is in another room. And um, they only had like alternative milks there, like hemp milk and uh, almond milk and soy, and and the snacks were like birdseed or something. And he comes back with these glaring daggers. And I realized that this was not the best conference for me to have brought everybody to because it it was not the same as what I had remembered. He walks right up to me with this little thing of bird food and goes, "What have you brought us to?" <laughs> and I, so anyway, after the first day, which wasn't that successful, we organized a trip out to this island and went and did our own thing. I'll just always remember him bringing the bird seed and going, "What have you brought us to?" <laughs> You're like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I said, look, it wasn't like this last time. I'm not sure. It was a surprise to everybody. <laughs> it was too. It, it had changed so much and was, um, yeah, it had a different vibe, an entirely new vocabulary of like safe space and triggering and all that stuff. But if that's not what you thought you were coming to, you're like, uh, am I in the right, am I in the right place? So anyway. So, so we used to do at Alehan, Kentucky, we would do in, we did sort of, uh, versions of that here but um we would have a good weekend schools like thursday through sunday and um and there'd be anywhere from like 25 to 40 people um and they come in and uh, we'd gather we would and there'd be several teachers over the weekend and they'd be there the whole time of course um and we would have uh like sitting around getting to know each other and, and then talking circles at the beginning. And then we'd have, you know, like teaching the next day and then ceremonies uh, like sweat. Uh, then, we, you know, in the evening we might watch a native uh, movie together, uh, something, usually something funny, um, talk about that and humor and kinds of things. Um, setting around meals together. And then, so it's basically like a family gathering for, you know, like three and a half days. And that worked really, really well. People loved it, you know. And so that's kind of what, when I talk about, like, doing something like that, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, All right. It's a deep relationship with people, you know. Yeah. Everybody has access to everybody else, you know. Yeah. That would be very different than most conferences I've been to. Hey, I want to move us uh, with the time we have to move to the wild card round and go around the table and see if there's anything that you would like to talk about, anything um, either making your heart come alive or anything that has gotten under your skin. 
It can be a positive or a negative or constructive or deconstructive. Um, but if there's anything you want to chat, I just thought we would open it up and see what's going on with you. We can um, maybe um, I've got something um, from Randy's book that uh, right here. Great. So, um, yeah, something that struck me, I was reading, I was reading uh, yesterday um, and uh, it's where he talks about another example of sacred value of creation is found in Job 12, seven through 10, where uh, Job is uh, talking um, in the passage passage about admonishing <laughs> one of his accusers to talk to animals and then be taught by them, talk and listen to birds. And that just really, really struck me that passage of scripture. Um, one that I, I had never really thought about or never really, never had really stuck out to me that way. And it, it's something that I've been, it's like over the last couple of days, I've been really like meditating on and really thinking about in my own life, you know, how does that apply in, in my context and where I'm at? And, um, you know, just listening to just creation and the birds and, um, how can I be taught by them? And, and what does that mean for me in my life? You know, it's just something that I've been really um, meditating and, and really contemplating really the last few days. So that's just something that, that has stuck out to me that, you know, I don't know if there's any, any more that anyone wants to add to that, but um, just maybe how, how that applies or how that maybe is spoken to you as well. I used to be uh I used to be quite an outdoorsman and, um, but at that time I had not uh, encountered indigenous wisdom. Um, and then I moved, I left upstate New York and I moved out to Portland, Oregon to go to seminary. And that's, uh, I met Randy and uh, began to be my eyes to be opened to passages and ideas like that. And, um, but in the years since then, I've been focusing so much on education and I've been living in primarily cities. And there's a part of me that's very sad that um, ever since I encountered um, indigenous concepts of um, embracing notions like this, that I haven't had the opportunity to be in nature as much. And I really wish that I had known um uh, Back when I was in the wilderness all the time, I wish I had known that. So every opportunity I get, the other day um, I saw a crow behaving what I thought was pretty strange. It intrigued me what was happening. So um, I actually greeted my cousin and uh, watched. And turned out there was something happening in the neighborhood and that there were other crows coming. And it was fun to watch them for a period of time and uh, for them to move. And then there ended up being a Congress, I guess you'd call it. And uh, it was just a fascinating thing. And had I not noticed him early on, I would have missed the entire thing. So I'm glad that I stuck around to see what, what he was up to. So the, the, the fact that you know, when you talked about that, Jason, it's um, the way that you said it is interesting because I think that would be pretty typical in some ways to say, um, you know, I never really thought about that verse this way. So that would be like 99.9% of probably most people who read scripture, right? 
they wouldn't think about the things that Jesus spoke about. They wouldn't think about the things like that passage and many others in creation. So, but that just shows us how much of a bubble has been built by bad theologies, right? By bad Western theologies, which basically encapsulate Western knowledge and everything outside of that is suspect. So, um, so, but if you think about it, and you think about the long-term effect, if you believe the creator has been speaking to people, well, you know, the, the Bible has only been here for just a very short time, right? But creation has been here forever, and and the creator has invited the creator's self in creation to teach us. In fact, it's our not only our our primary learning station, but it's it's the the first one that we take notice of, really, unless we're like born in some kind of institutional thing, you know. If and so um, we go outside, like my little granddaughter's here right now, and uh, she's outside, and we were picking berries, and and she's just pondering, you know, she's loving what she's seeing out there, and she's involved in it, and it's becoming a part of her world. Um, and hopefully if those things become more and more familiar, then she'll start learning the lessons of those things. Right. So every, everything has something to teach us. Um, and, um, to, to me, the Bible is just a document that reflects that it isn't the primary revelation. It's the, the, the revelation that reflects the, the, the primary revelation, which is creation. So, um, but, but we're taught to, to be suspect of that. And, and that's a shame because, you know, you're not really following like the direction creator has for you, unless you are investing yourself into learning about what creator has invested, uh, creator self in, in creation. So does that make sense? Yeah, it's good. And picking up off of what Randy's saying, like we normally communicate through symbol and metaphor. Even language itself is symbol and metaphor. And so when creator is speaking to us through creation, it's arguably a more direct communication than what we're learning what's translated through language. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I love symbol and metaphor and imagery. I'm a lay liturgist, and that's my whole field that I work in is crafting rituals and symbols and imageries. But um, there's still always that layer of the symbol between you and what's being communicated. But there's no layer between you and creation. I love that. That's good. Ryan, you still there? I'm I'm always here, Randy. <laughs> so, so I like you know Ryan. Uh, I let him tell the story if he wants, but I was really happy to hear him talk about his own backyard one day because I I hear um, uh, you know of ecology and other things speak and you know they they don't talk about nature or creation in personal terms that way. And I'm like, you know, dude, do you ever even talk to your plants in your backyard? Do you talk to your trees? Do you have a relationship with them? It's like, you know, 
if you're out trying to save the earth, but you can't even speak to your own trees in your own yard, you know, it's like, you know, what's that about? That seems kind of hypocritical. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm good friends with, with the plants and the trees, uh, not the raccoons because raccoons are douchebags, but, um, they're all in my backyard. Um, you know, when we moved, uh, to the small little property that we have, uh, in Woodburn, Oregon, um, first of all, uh, one of the things I really wanted to do was to make peace, um, uh, because the, the community is actually, it's interesting. I wish every white person could experience this. Um, I moved into a neighborhood. My wife, it looks whiter than I am, but she's, she's half Hispanic. But uh, we moved into a neighborhood where, you know, everybody looks out their window, sees white people and goes, huh, well, there goes the neighborhood because we're the only light-skinned folks around, uh, which is really, I think it's perfect. I think every white person should experience that. It's great. Um, but I really wanted to make peace um, and wanted to do something different and be able to share that uh, with my neighbors. And, uh, yeah, we, um, I went up and, and just uh, got, some, got some good soil and, and I tilled the ground. And I found tires and shoes and all sorts of – it's just the, the land had been abused. Um, and so the whole time, I, I remember even before I told the earth, I asked, I asked permission. I said, hey, I'd, I'd like to help you. Can I, can I do this? Can I touch you? And, um, you know, looking for consent, which is, I think, really important and something that's not practiced as much as it should uh, today. But, you know, I didn't feel like there was anything, you know, uncomfortable there. So that's why I, I just went ahead and did that and, and uh, tilled up the earth and brought in more soil to help and, and just worked with it. And the whole time I'm just saying prayers, um, asking questions. And every time I planted something, you know, may I do this? Um, if, I did, if I didn't feel comfortable with something, I wouldn't do it. Uh, it's just about having that relationship. But um, – you know, as we've gone forward and, uh, you know, as we've continued to live on this land, you know, everything we plant, uh, you know, and I planted huckleberries, which I learned from Randy is, is uh, sacred to the host people who originally in, in this uh, area of the Willamette Valley, the Kalapuya, and uh, which I think they're about to now fruit for the first time. Um, but they just took off, planted sage, you know, just, just sang prayers. And like my wife planted roses a year ago and like they're, she says she's never seen, never seen roses take off like this. Like all the things we plant, never seen it take off, you know, and we're just always thanking the land, um, always thanking the land and, and talking to the plants and the trees and the bees um, really need to talk to the bees because they're, they're good and they're our friends and they'll take care of you. But not the raccoons. I, I don't like them at all. They're basically terrorists. They run in gangs. They'll mess you up. Yeah, no, and the, and the raccoons here in Woodburn are so large. I really do think um, when school's back in session, they actually hunt children for sport. <laughs> so this summer, so I have uh, an above-ground pool that I set up during the summer, and um, 
uh, last month, there was a honeybee that had like swung in to get a drink of water and was drowning. So I, I rescued it and put it out of the pool. And every day since then, when I'm in the pool, he comes out and, and hangs out with me. And it's the most um, like nonsensical thing that I've ever, it's sort of my Disney Snow White moment where I'm talking to the animals and they're like, Hey, we're going to hang out in the pool. Um, and my friends didn't believe me. And I had a friend come over and she was losing her mind. She's like, okay, I've never seen those birds in this area before. There was a whole bunch of these little random songbirds and they were just singing to us the whole time. And she's definitely allergic to bees. So she was terrified, but we decided the bee's name is Jerry because if you've ever seen the bee movie, Jerry Seinfeld voiced that. Um, and he kept flying over to her and she was terrified and left her EpiPen in the car. So I would go over. I'm like, Jerry, leave her alone. And he would follow me to the other side of the pool. So uh, magic has been happening in my backyard with the animals. Wow. You know, dragonflies will do stuff like that, too. They're pretty... I do see dragonflies. This is the first time, like, and occasionally he'll bring a friend. They'll hang out, have some water, and head out. I'm a little bit concerned about the day drinking. I'm not sure salt water is actually that good for bees, but it's not chlorinated. So there you go. <laughs> Jerry had a tough week. Just just lay off, okay? Uh, look, I'm not trying to tell him how to live. I'm just not sure he should drink and fly. Jason, was that was that helpful or interesting? I'm glad you brought this up. I actually didn't realize we were going to go here today. Yes, very helpful. And it's uh, just something I was I was reading um, in the book uh, yesterday and uh, just something that really, you know, I, I kept reading over and over and just uh, thinking about more and more. And um, just, uh, yeah, just I've got a hawk that visits uh, just about every day um, in my backyard. We have a lot of red tails. Uh, red shoulder hawks here in the area and um i have a red tail that comes and he'll land and on my back fence here and i'll look out and uh you know just talk to you know the, the hawk and, and and just um he, he'll he'll sit there i can open the door and, and sit there i'll go out on my back patio and, and and just greet him and um he sticks around and um, that's very interesting because they're very uh, you know, hawks are their eyesight is amazing, but then they're they don't usually stick around like that. So, um, he visits, I don't know, I'm not sure it's every pretty much every morning. So, it's just something that as I was reading in the book, and then it just uh really stood out to me. So, yeah, thank you for everyone's uh answer on that. That's good. So, this fall, uh, on Wednesday nights, I have a uh... Um, I used to call it a Bible study for progressives. And now we've called it in Bible study because we read the Bible and then we go out afterwards and imbibe and talk about it. It's pretty fun. Uh, but we're reading through the book of Job this fall and, and uh, probably take us most of the year. But I'm now I'm really intrigued now that you brought this up about all of the things uh, I'm, that I'm going to see that I didn't see. I haven't read the book of Job in, a long time. So it'll be interesting to go back through and to see things like this that, that I'd missed before. Any, any other topic anybody wants to bring up? Well, I think I told uh, Randy that I was not in a peaceful mood this week. Um, and for me, sometimes I just got to speak from my heart uh, because it, to be frank, for me, my heart's been very heavy 
this last week and uh, has just really facilitated um, anger. Um, there's deep sadness when we have mass shootings, but it really moves to rage and anger at the injustice, the violence, um, the inaction uh, that I witness in this culture in the United States. Uh, I've been a part of several active threats in my ministry career and in my current duties. And, you know, I've seen people respond to active threats and, and been involved in that. And what never ceases to, to anger me is when I hear some of my friends and people on certain news channels that say, well, if I was there, you know, I would have shot that guy or I would have taken him out. I don't know what's wrong with people. They're all cowards. And it, it, it angers me to no end because, first of all, uh, nobody knows what they'll do in a situation like that. Uh, more than likely, you'd piss your pants um, because it's scary. And I can say that because I, I know it is extremely scary. Um, but at the same time, it's it's absolutely cowardly when I hear people talk about, well, this is what I would do without ever even experiencing something like that. And at the same time, I've actually had friends, and this has angered me equally, and I haven't responded to them because um, I, I, I don't know if it's appropriate, but my heart you know, is just filled with anger because I, I've also had friends who've just said, after what they've seen recently in this country and in the politics, that they're just giving up. They said, man, screw it. I'm done. I, I'm not engaging anymore. I can't take it. And so part of me understands that, like I get it. The other part of me is then filled with anger because there are children locked in cages. There are babies in detention centers who don't have the white privilege to say, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't deal with this in my day. You know, my Starbucks didn't have my coffee this morning or, or it's just too much for me. You know, there's little kids locked up in detention centers. If you can't handle it, my suggestion is buck up because those children don't have an advocate and they need an advocate. And all we're doing in this nation, there's a small minority fighting and the rest of us are just either pissed off or okay with it. It's time to actually do something, and if the people that have been elected to do something don't do it, then the American people have only themselves to blame when they continue to vote them into office. And I am fed up, fed up with hearing people whine and snivel, mostly white men, about how difficult they have it. I cannot abide that when there are children who are being treated like animals in this country. And I am sick and tired of it. That's my heart. That's where I'm at. It's not peaceful, but that's where I am today. It may not be peaceful, but it's pretty dead accurate. Yep. Conversations like this are always helpful for me. You know, I had mentioned on the previous episode that driving across the country I became very aware of how uh, Trump won um, 
versus my life in Portland, a lot of my people I associate with are just completely baffled as to how we won. It seems impossible. And uh, Ryan, I got to be honest, you know, the, I did not, I did not realize I don't have anybody. I haven't heard a single person yet say that they're going to give up or that they just can't today um, just because of the circles that I run in. But for that to be frequent enough for you to like have to combat that is actually helpful to me to know that that's happening out there. Um, it's not happening in my little microclimate, but, and then, you know, for Alicia to be familiar with, with that sentiment lets me know that that's clearly a thing. And, um, I just happen to be in a very politically active context because I haven't heard that yet, but it's good for me to know that that's out there because it's only a matter of time before that weather pattern is over my house. Hmm. Well, the, 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 the thing that's really interesting that needs to be understood is that Trump was not necessarily voted for by by just supporters of Trump. And what I mean by that is there were people who do not support him, who do not like him, who do not want to see him as president, who ended up casting their vote for him because it connected with culture, with with um, these deep-seated kind of conspiracies, he's able to gaslight the American people, white Americans, into questioning reality and accepting his version of reality. And even though, the, even though they can't stand him, they will cast their vote for him because it fits with a bias that they have internally. Hmm. And so... It's, it's not even so much about whether or not people support the president. That, that's really not where we're at. It's about whether or not he connects with that fear in white culture that they're going to be wiped out because of a growing number of other cultures coming in. Okay. This has happened before in American history, and yet we're so blind we don't even see it. I mean, there's people that talk about this, but again, when you travel through the heartland, like you talked about, Bo, you know, my family comes from there. I, you know, that is my ancestry. That's my culture. I know how those people think. And that is predominantly the perspective of this country is when you start traveling through the Midwest, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Indiana, all those places, you start to see something completely different than Portland, Oregon. And you start to realize that, that there is a real fear uh, among white people in, in the culture about what's going on. Yeah. The, the hate groups are, you know, continually on the rise and, um, you know, white nationalism, white supremacy, white, uh, power. Um, and it's all based on fear, right? And it's not a rational fear. Well, I hope what, it kind of is a rational fear. Because if you think about it, if you just think about it in terms of people are whiter, are black, or whiter, native, or whiter, you know, and you don't think in terms of people are people who happen to be, you know, white, black, female, everything else. Um, if you only think in those sort of cardboard cutout terms, 
then it's a rational fear because you go, they're going to treat us the way we treated them when they're in power. Is it, well, it assumes that they're going to be exactly like you. Which is a pretty low blow. Um, <laughs> it's not, not a very high standard, is it, to set? Well, no, and it's not a very high opinion of humanity. It's a low opinion of humanity, which, again, I think always goes back to the, the false Western Christian perspective of humanity. But, I mean, the, 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 you know, I was talking with my wife last night. I said the whole Puritan idea of providence that comes from John Calvin in the 1500s to nerd out for a second is alive and well in the United States of America and is the predominant way we do business. Mm-hmm. And if that's threatened, then it will be defended violently. Uh, one of my favorite thinkers is Paul Ricoeur, and he has this concept called always already. And how I've sort of brought that in uh, to daily use for me is that I am aware that when I walk into a room, whether I bring up the politics that are happening now, mass shootings, um, the level of discouragement that people have about um, what's happening in our culture, it's always already in the room, whether I bring it up or not. Mm. So... I knew that coming into this recording this afternoon, whether we talked about the shootings or not, they were always already going to be present. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a really powerful thing when you start uh, attending to and actually naming the things that are always already in, in whatever room that you're in, because it really does weigh on people's minds and hearts And whatever you think that you say, okay, well, today, you know, we're going to be about this. We're going to try and, you know, focus on this issue. But if you also attend for the other things that are always already present in the room, there's, there's a measure of wisdom about saying we are all heavy today, even though we're not, we're not here to talk about gun violence. It's already here, and it is weighing us all down. And just naming what's happening in the room can be helpful for people Um, because sometimes you ignore it to your own detriment. You think, well, they spent the whole week watching news. I don't want to spend this time talking about that too. Like this is a time for us to be constructive and to focus on this issue, and it will be nice to not – you know, watch news coverage about another mass shooting. By the way, you know, we've had 250 in the United States so far this year. 250. Yep. So. Sounds like there needs to be some deconstruction around that construction. Yeah. Yeah. And I also have something to say, too, about that is that um, I have a brother um, who is an avid NRA gun advocate, like big time. And I, I am real involved with Shane Claiborne and beating guns and raw tools. And I support them pretty heavily. And it has really brought a divide in my brothers and my relationship. I mean, these are things that are 
uh, I, you know, I'm seeing in my own family dividing families, dividing friendships and relationships. And it's, um, you know, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that it's in our country, you know, you go up <laughs> into Tennessee, Georgia, um, and in the deep South. And it's, it's very, like you're saying, but like, it's very like, and everyone's saying it, it's very entrenched in, in our culture. And especially the, the South, um, is, as you know, you're driving through the Midwest and you drive through the South, it's the same thing. And it's, uh, it's just, I've seen it in my brother's kids. He's passing it on to his, his son and, you know, his 15 year old son. Um, it's, it's just that it's, it's deep in, in that. And it's just something that, you know, as we move forward and as I am pushing and, and, and talking about more and more, it's dividing me, my, you know, there's times where we're together, like we don't even talk about that. Like it's very surfacey. It's very, you know, 30,000 foot level conversation. So um, that's just some of, you know, some of the things that I'm seeing that, you know, I think some people, um, they got to get to that point as Ryan was saying, like, where you're, you're just like, it's that boiling point where I'm done. Like I'm done talking about it. like, this is how it is. And this is how I'm going to live. And this is what I'm going to support when I'm going to push forward, regardless of family relationships or not. Like, that can't stand for that anymore. And, um, so that's just something in my own, my own life that I've seen, um, yeah. that kind of relates to that whole, you know, uh, current situation, but wow, yeah, it's been, been pretty deep. So in the same family, you have one guy supporting beating guns into gardening weapons and the other guy clinging to the second amendment. That's quite a thing in one family. Yep. But there's also a difference between yeah. the gun culture in which I grew up, which was, hey, we want some rabbit for dinner, so we go out on the back 20 acres and go shoot a rabbit. Uh, and the more suburban, urban context of we need this to protect ourselves. And, all and, and it's kind of almost like coming to this culture clash. Like there's kind of the country that, that I grew up with, the kind of the country gun culture that, you know, hey, I got a rifle you know, in my pickup so I can go hunting after school versus I want an AR-15 so I can blow someone away if they threaten me. There, there, There is a clash now, even in the gun culture groups, of the perspective of what a firearm's primary use is supposed to be. Huh. And I grew up in rural Oregon, and I remember in high school, dudes would have their hunting rifles in the back of their trucks, and nobody got shot ever. And it was, I think, a different relationship with weapons, I guess. I'm not even sure. And, you know, it's really um, difficult reading the headlines when um, we're starting to scapegoat mental illness as the cause for these mass shootings. And it's deeply problematic, especially when you're looking at people who've invested time, energy, and effort into writing a manifesto. This isn't somebody that had a mental break. This was intentional. This was premeditated and thought out. Amen. um, So I, you know, mental illness is a real problem and I'm not saying Maybe that's not a factor, but that's not the only factor. And why are we extending that as an excuse for these white men who are shooting up people um, in a way that we wouldn't excuse it if they were people of color? They're ingenious manipulators. I mean, Trump, we'd like to think Trump is stupid. He's not at all. 
Um, He knows how to manipulate people, and he's part of a larger sort of a – I'm not saying it's an organized conspiracy. I'm just saying he knows how to manipulate people. Uh, I've been around manipulators. I was at the PTL club for a number of years for Jim Baker. He's also a master manipulator. But um, Bo actually gave me a book um, a number of years ago about mass movements. And um, do you remember the name of the book, Bo? Uh, Is it True Believer? Yeah. 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 Author? I'm blanking on the author right now. Yeah, I've I've got it somewhere around here. Um, Anyway, it's written in the 50s, the 1950s. And which I think probably was written after the McCarthy era would be my guess. But, um, but he says a number of, of really smart things there. And he, one of the things he talks about is that any movement can exist um, without God, but no movement can exist without a devil. Eric yeah. Hoffer. Eric Hoffer. Yeah. Eric Hoffer. Yeah. And, and, so that means that if you're going to rile people up and stir people up, you have to have a devil, you know. And for Trump uh, and Trump's um, group, cadre, um, the devil is liberals, Democrats, um, immigrants, uh, you know, black folks, really women. Um, there's just a whole lot of people who are the devil and you don't have to name them as the devil. You only have to uh, make innuendos that they're the devil. And and that's what people are so angry about. They're angry about that devil who's trying to take over this land. And um, he's done a great job of doing that. He's, he's a fantastic manipulator. Well, thank you all for your time this afternoon. I... Um I enjoy these a lot, and because I never know what direction they're going to go, uh, as it is um, developing, I'm always thinking about how uh, somebody's going to listen to this later on the podcast. So I just want to thank you all for your uh, both vulnerability and truthfulness to really share with us uh, what's going on with you, and um, and even to... Uh, for Ryan to let us hear your passion and uh, Jason to give us a little bit of insight as to, into a really personal situation. I just want to say thank you. Um, I never know who's going to come to these or what we're going to talk about. And uh, at the end of them, I'm always so grateful for time with you all. So thank you. Yeah.